Coming up, how this War Room member built a million dollars worth of equity into their very first investment, pulled all of their capital out, and are still cash flowing. Welcome to the Military Millionaire Podcast, where we teach service members, veterans, and their families how to build wealth through personal finance, entrepreneurship, and real estate investing. I'm your host, David Perret, and together with my co-host, Alex Felice, we're here to be your no BS guides along the most important mission you'll ever embark on, your finances. Roger, Vic One, Oscar Mike. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Military Millionaire Podcast. If you're new here, we have a Facebook group with over 64,000 members, a YouTube channel, and a mastermind called The War Room, which today's guest is a member of. Now, the entire goal of this community is to help service members and veterans achieve financial freedom and enjoy the ride. The goal is that over the next five years, we're going to help 10,000 veterans achieve financial freedom. We are crushing towards that goal right now. And I want to ask you for one favor that I don't ask for enough. If you listen to the show and you get something out of it, could you head over to whatever your favorite platform is, Apple, wherever, and just leave us a review? I I don't make that ask enough, but I know that that would really help the algorithm with the podcast, which means that our incredible guests would get a little bit more for their time hanging out because more ears would listen to their show and it would be more valuable for everybody. So I appreciate you. Now, have you ever thought what it would be like to build a house from the ground up and create a million dollars in equity just out of thin air? Well, what if I told you that not only did today's guest do this and the deal cash flows and will cash flow quite well by the end of next year, but that it was his very first real estate investment. Don't believe me? Stay tuned. Dan served in the army for 27 years as both an infantry and intelligence officer. He also has a 20 year corporate IT sales job and he spent a decade coaching CrossFit, but none of that has made him as much money as his first real estate investing deal did. Now he's negotiating with a college to crush his next investment and So without further ado, let's bring in Dan. Enjoy the show. What's up, Military Millionaires? I'm here with Mr. Dan Slaughter. Dan, how are you today, brother? I'm good. It's a beautiful day. It is a beautiful day. All right, we're going to jump right in with a question, and then we'll kind of backstory it up in a second. Uh, So, okay, Army, corporate IT sales, level two CrossFit coaching, which career was your favorite, and which do you think sets you up for success the most later in life? Uh, wow. So the favorite was, was probably the army, you know, I had, uh, certainly had a long career, uh, did a lot of things. There, there's a lot of stuff I miss. There's a lot of stuff I don't miss. Um, the IT security sales kind of got me into, um, you know, standing in front of people I didn't know and starting to talk and, you know, tell a story and, and eventually try to build a relationship with people. Um, the CrossFit stuff was, uh, the most rewarding. Um, I love being able to push people beyond, what they think they can do. Um, I had probably, um, I had a group of girls that were high school athletes. That was probably the most rewarding, um, thing I did. I coached them for about two years and saw them progress, uh, incredibly. That's cool. Yeah. I'm, a. have been a fan of CrossFit for a while and I'm, I'm debating joining a gym again. I, I was going to do the whole heavy lifting thing. Cause I also enjoy that and just realized that, having the competition of other people around is, is really beneficial uh, in a lot of ways for me. So yeah, the, the group coaching, the, uh, the intensity that it brings with when you're doing stuff against the clock 
um, is probably the most beneficial part for me. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. So we're going to dig through, uh, a little bit, your, your first real estate deal, because it's, <laughs> it's, 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 uh, incredible, uh, compared to what a lot of people would consider their first deal. Um, but before we do that, what, what got you into real estate and how did you kind of settle on, uh, you know, this, this kind of crazy, crazy idea as your first property? Yeah. So several years ago, I started looking for kind of a way out of corporate IT. And, and while corporate IT provided a, a super comfortable living, um, there was no singular thing I could do in that career that was going to provide me uh, 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 the ability to retire early. Hmm. And so um, in 2019, uh, I had a heart attack. Uh, some people know, some people don't know. I'm not afraid to talk about it. Um, turns out I had a hole in my heart that had been there my whole life and, uh, finally came into play, uh, one day in the gym. Um, it kind of gave, started giving me a little bit different perspective about what I was doing with my life, how I was mostly how I was spending my time, uh, as a corporate IT guy, my nearest customer was in Orlando, uh, you know, living outside of Atlanta, being expected to be in front of customers every week, um, meant traveling a lot. And while my kids were young and their sports events were on Saturdays and Sundays, um, it was okay. But now that they're, they're older, they play for their school, their sports events are all Monday through Friday. Um, so I was looking for a way to kind of exit the travel, uh, with my job. So I started a couple of different things. One of the things I started was researching into real estate. Um, about six months after I had a, a heart attack, uh, I got laid off from my corporate job. I uh, decided at that point, I really needed to come up with a five-year exit, exit strategy to either retire or do something on my own. Uh, and that, that happened with real estate. So literally six weeks after I got laid off, I put in my first offer on a vacant lot in the Florida Panhandle. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. What a, what a crazy year. Um, as you talk, uh, highs and lows. Um, yep, for sure. That's awesome. So, okay. So you bought a vacant lot in the pan, the, the Florida Panhandle. Um, you know, Land very rarely cash flows, so I'm assuming you didn't leave it as a vacant lot. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what your plan was with this deal? Yeah, we didn't really know what we were getting ourselves into with it. We felt um, worst case scenario, you know, 20 years later, we owned a vacant beachfront lot in Panhandle. Hmm. Didn't think that that was ever going to, you know, go down in value. It was only going to appreciate after a little bit, we started putting together some numbers and figured out what we want to do with it, what would it actually cost to uh, build on it. And those numbers just seemed absolutely insane. I thought I was doing everything wrong because it seemed too good to be true. Um, and I, originally, I was driving through Florida Panhandle and had this epiphany. As I was looking at different houses, I was trying to think through the, the RV. This is uh, down at Cape Sandblast, Mexico Beach. There were still a lot of houses that were, had been impacted from the hurricane that hit Mexico beach. I think it was 2018 or 2019. Uh, and as I was trying to think through, if I had that house, you know, how much could I purchase it for? And then what would the repair costs would be? And then what would the ARV be? I had this epiphany that, you know, if I purchase a property that needs repair and then I hire a GC labor and materials is going to be roughly the same whether that house or property is on the beach or a mile inland. However, the value after the fact, the ARV 
what's complete is significantly different. So then I started looking at construction costs. You know, what would construction costs be? Then I kind of started pricing out uh, what new construction houses are selling for. Those two numbers were so vastly different. You know, again, I, I thought I was just doing everything wrong. There was clearly a piece I was missing. Um, but it all it turned out to <laughs> be the way I projected it. Yeah, it did. Uh, I guess before we kind of progress through questions, do you want to give just a brief overview of, you know, uh, how much money you put in, what are the praised for, or, or uh, you know, how, how everything kind of turned out and what your uh, numbers look like right now on it? Yeah, for sure. So I'm in 20, let's see, I purchased that lot September, 2020. I purchased, it was 1.6 acres of beachfront property. I paid 320,000 for it. Um, there was only about half an acre that was usable. Um, there's a large space between the buildable area and the, and the water line. It's uh, protected sand dunes. Environment, there's an environmentally, environmentally protected mouse that lives in the sand dunes. So we couldn't build. So I knew that even though it was 1.6 acres, I really knew I was only going to be able to get, you know, one house on the property. So put together a, a construction plan, got a, you know, a plan from a builder, talked to draftsmen, architects, got surveys done, environmental surveys done on the property. Um, my original build cost was about $225 a square foot. Uh, that is just structure. That doesn't um, include permits, surveys, land improvement. You know, we put a pool in, didn't include any of that. So I wanted a 3,400-square-foot house. Construction costs came out to about 850000 uh, Even the pre-construction appraisal that happened on the land increased the land value to five fifteen uh, in nine months. So just the value of the land alone in nine months went from three twenty to five fifteen. So originally I was all in at about 1.1. 1. 1. Uh, I financed it through a, a local bank with a, you know, about 20% down. I hit a, a DTI cap pretty quickly at 680,000. Um, so I cashed out a lot of the retirement that I had built up over my, you know, corporate career. And so after overages, I wound up being in it about between one, two, one, three, including furniture, one, four. Um, when I got the appraisal done for the refinance, it appraised at 2.4. So I did a, a cash out refinance at 65% loan to value, got all my capital back plus 140K in my own pocket because um, I quit my job. I quit my W2 job in April. And that was part of the that was part of the exit strategy was um, the, the cash out refi. God, I love this. So just to recap for anyone who missed that in there. All in at 1.4 was able to pull 1.4 back and pay himself out plus 140 as a replacement for his salary. And on top of all of that, he's only leveraged at 65% of the value of that property. So he has a ton of equity left in the deal, more than most people when they just buy a house and they go 20, 25% down. That's incredible. I mean, essentially, that's, you know, when people talk zero down or zero, whatever, um, obviously that's not the case here, but at the end of the deal, you're left with zero in it. And so the return on that is basically infinite, but not only that, and this would be incredible had you done that and then it didn't cash flow at all, but I don't think that's the case because you're running a short-term rental on the beach. So what are your, what are your, uh, what do your numbers look like right now? Uh, running a short-term rental on the beach. Um, I think 2024, we're going to do about 240 K. 
the bank appraiser, when they were going through the refi, put it at 147K of uh, annual revenue. Um, 2023 is a, a little slow. You know, I had all my summer first guests came in Memorial Day weekend. I had a, a fully booked summer, uh, but I had priced it at 75% of the market rate because all I had was construction progress pictures and a floor plan. Yeah. Uh, but next year, 2024, we'll push that price up and we'll we'll run it about 90% of what the market rates are for a five bedroom luxury finishing, you know, house on the beach. So even with 23 being a little bit less than what you anticipate next year being, uh, what are you pulling in from it month over month on average? Yeah, probably about right now, um, probably about 13, 14,000, which is a, a break even point. You know, obviously with a, with a promissory note at, at 1.5, the, that PITI is super expensive. Yeah, no, abs- absolutely. But if you creep that up to 20K a month, like you're projecting on average, then you're looking at five, six grand a month in, Correct. in net on a Correct. deal with no cash left in it, which is, I mean, that gives you all your money back, replaces your salary, has a appreciating asset that you have a very, pretty low amount of debt on for the value of that property. Yeah. Um, and you have a house on the beach. So when you want to go right. like take a vacation to the beach, you know, you don't have to pay somebody. So there you go. There's another sure. couple thousand dollars that you can throw into your winnings because <laughs> you can save on a beachfront vacation. Uh, yeah, what is it? 14, I think it's what, 14 days a year that you can stay before you have to like actually count it against your yourself on a tax, tax basis or whatever. Correct. So, yep. It's awesome. I love it. Okay. So you do this deal, which is just incredible for a first deal. For really well, it's incredible as a deal in general. It's a solid deal, but as your first deal, that's super, super, super cool. I mean, most people don't don't do anything, don't take a leap like that. So that's awesome. Um, why? Well, I think we already covered like why new build, uh, why short term rental. You know, we kind of touched on all that stuff. Um, oh shoot, we actually I wrote down all these questions and you kind of answered them all in your uh, in your intro about it. You know, how'd you finance it? That's already covered. Um, what resources did you have? to learn about this and help you like take action on it. I feel like that's not a uh, development is something that scares a lot of people. Um, you know, it I mean, is. Yeah. We, we built a couple of our primary houses that we live in the house that uh, we live in. Now we, we built, uh, we, we bought it from a builder. It wasn't necessarily a spec home, but it was, um, you know, we, we've been through the build process a, a couple of different times. Um, I had always had it in the back of my head that you hear stories about the, the uglier the house, the better the value or the better the, the upside. And so as I started down this path, I, again, the, the numbers just didn't, didn't make any sense. But I, I leaned a lot on the builder. I vetted the builder through the bank and then I bank, vetted the bank through the builder. Then I, you know, found other two or three resources, even, you know, on the bigger pockets forums. I started asking about builders, um, vetted the builder a few different ways. Um, I had probably interviewed five different builders before I selected him. Uh, and then once I selected him, I just continued the vetting process as much as I could, but it was honest with him. I told him this is my first go around. I've never built down here. There's a lot of things I don't know. Um, you know, help me out along the way. Yeah, I think that's huge. And I think that piece right there is probably um, like the willingness. It's like the old adage, right? Men don't ask for directions. Um, mm-hmm. 
No. Uh, men who want to get lost don't ask for directions. Um, the fact that you're willing to, you know, hey, I don't necessarily know what I don't know doing this. And you've been building down here for your entire adult life. Um, you know, even even being willing to ask the guy that you're paying to do it uh, is huge. And I, I see that, you know, I see that in our in our Facebook group where you're asking questions and, and talking to people about stuff. And, and so I love that. Um, OK, so you crush this deal. And I know, I think you've got an offer. Correct me if I'm wrong. Did you just make an offer on another beachfront property in the area? Vacant lot? I did. I had to pull that back. Um, okay. there were, we started to doubt, um, the lot width. Um, so mm. I had made an, I had made an offer on a, a lot that was really probably just a half mile away. Very similar circumstances. I thought I could take my same, uh, floor plan, my same finishings. I knew, you know, knowing exactly what those costs are going to be and just replicate the process. Uh, along the way, we started doubting what the actual lot width was. Seller wasn't really uh, willing to wait until we got a, a boundary survey complete. Uh, and so I, I pulled out of that deal. Although there's others, there's others down there I'm still looking at just to be able to replicate what I just did. I would say if the seller wasn't willing to wait on a survey, you already know your answer. Because yep. that's a pretty basic request. Hey, I just need to confirm that this thing, you know, conforms to what I need it to, to build what I want to build. Uh, if they're like, nope, sorry, take it or leave it. It's like, well, I think you're answering my question. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that's uh, so smart, smart move. In fact, one of the guys I want to say was Aaron Amuchastegui that I was talking to. Uh, I believe it was, and he owns, you know, 800 plus houses. Um, and someone asked him about like the best deal he'd ever done at this event I was at in Costa Rica. And he was like, the best deals I ever did were the ones that I didn't do. Like mm -hmm. the ones where I realized that I was going to lose and I avoided losing like that. Yeah. yeah. For this particular lot, it was just, I needed uh 55 square feet, which was, I mean, I'm sorry, 55 feet in width across the lot to be able to fit my 34 foot floor plan with the offsets. Um, I had, I started getting reasonably, it was only 50 feet. And then I had my, my builder measure and he said it was 45 feet which would limit my build to a 25 foot wide house, which can probably still be a good deal, but a 25 foot wide house, I wouldn't be able to replicate what I just did and get the highest ARV afterward. Mm. Yeah, no. And I think that's, I think that's smart knowing what you're going after. Um, all right. So the, the thing that I love about you and what you're doing in real estate, right. Is you're, you've got some pretty cool, projects going on. And so we're going to talk through a little bit of what you got going on on this next deal. Um, and for some context for everybody, we're not going to mention specifics on location. Uh, we're just going to kind of chat through the, the generalized idea on the deal. Um, but essentially what Dan's been doing is buying lots in a row across from a university. And I'll, I'll let him talk to that project and what he's what his plan is, because it's been really cool to watch over the last probably six months to a year uh, as you talk through some of what you're working on over there. Yeah, so uh, I am trying to build student housing on a, a university or across the street from a university in the southeast. Uh, I'm still in land acquisition phase. That's why we're being uh, intentionally vague with the location. Um, the first, the first deal that I got, I actually got the four, four parcels in a seller financing deal. Um, there were, uh, out of the four parcels, there were two houses, uh, two parcels were vacant. I got that at seller financing. Um, at, I, when I originally made the offer, I gave him two offers. I said, I would like, um, 10% down at 6% interest. 
or 20% down at, at 5% interest. And both those options, I'd like two and a half years interest only. Uh, so the seller took the 10% down option at 6%. And, you know, now we're, we're still uh, about a little over a year into my interest only period. Um, we've been trying to negotiate for parcels five and six on the left and right. If I can get number six, then I'll make offers on parcel number seven and eight. Um, we're trying to do this kind of low key. We don't want somebody to, you know, the, the adjacent parcel owners to know that a developer is coming in to, to level everything and, and build apartments because I think that my, my sale price for those parcels is going to skyrocket. Uh, so we're trying to do this kind of low and slow technique of acquiring properties under different LLCs. I think your uh, I think your assumption there, your gut is 100% spot on as long as they're savvy owners. So funny you say that. One of my buddies out here is the, he, I guess he's like the, the main, I don't know what you'd call him, main rep or whatever. He's the agent that Evangel University uses for uh, all their acquisitions. And Evangel is one of the private schools, one of the two big private schools in Springfield. And, uh, you know, they've been, they've been just kind of slowly like buying everything around them over mm -hmm. the years, uh, which I think is a smart move. If you got cash to put somewhere as a business, why not put it in real estate, especially if you're a business that is a growing university and would like to maybe expand someday. Um, and apparently he was telling me uh, that one of the reasons he became kind of the go-to agent, and I don't remember if it was an, another agent that was doing this or, or what, but I think it was another agent that they had hired. And essentially they'd bought like all but one house in a neighborhood, like along a, a row. And then the lady basically called the person. It was like, Hey, uh, you know, I'm a front runner for Evangel University and we want to buy your house. And so the lady had no idea that all of her neighbor's houses had been bought by the university. And then she knows. So the house is probably worth this is Springfield. I don't know exactly which street it is, but we'll say it's the median home price in Springfield is 220. And this lady's like, right. I want $1.2 million, you know, whatever. Um, and so, yeah, that, that lady's no longer their representative <laughs> and uh, they shot themselves in the foot because they've got this lady who's totally happy in her house and now knows like, if I'm going to sell my house, I've got a buyer that will absolutely pay over market to own yeah. the entire block. So that's right. Yeah. Maybe not 1.2, but, but definitely over market value. You know, she can be like, yeah, Hey, I got for an these... offer for 250. You guys give me 300 is yours. Yeah. For these, for these parcels, fair market value for the three bedroom house. It's there. We'll just, you know, for say parcel number six, uh, three bedroom house, the fair market value for that's probably 175. You know, I'd be willing to pay up to up to 300 for it. Um, because those still fit my numbers for, you know, putting large multifamily on there right now with the four parcels I have, I I've got about 120 bedrooms that I can configure in three, three bedroom and in two bedroom, uh, configurations. If I get parcel number six, then that adds 24 bedrooms. And so even paying, you know, 300, 300 K for land acquisition to get those 24 additional bedrooms is still worth it. Oh, this reminds me, I didn't, I didn't even think about this. I have a friend in a similar story, right? Friend in friend in high school. Uh, it, I'm sure they don't listen to this podcast. So, uh, Sean, if you're listening, <laughs> you guys are funny. Um, the basically somebody bought everything around them to develop all new houses, right? In the early to mid two thousands. I mean, big development. I don't know how many houses, but big area of town that's now even got a private, uh, like elementary school right there. I mean, it's a really, it's turned into a really nice area. And my buddy from high school, his family, they owned a house right in the middle of the parcel. And 
I, unless they've moved in the last few years from when I last visited, um, at the time, they are the only house that has not been developed there. So there's all these mm-hmm. clear cut, whatever. They're like still living in the woods with their little three, two in the garage that has a little apartment unit above it. That's, you know, 60 years old. And they were getting offered a ton of, I mean, probably three times market value for that house. And they just didn't want to move. <laughs> and so I always laughed in high school. Cause it's like, you drive through this really nice neighborhood and not that their house wasn't nice. It was, it was great, but it's like everything for the last half mile I've been driving is a brand new three, two cookie cutter house on a nice neighborhood. And then it's like, you go to the back of this cul-de-sac and there's just woods and you're like, what in the world? And you drive down the driveway and you're like, Oh, there's a house. <laughs> and uh, so it's uh, yeah, that's not what you want to happen as a developer, <laughs> but um, right. It, it's it is hard kind of to have, uh, it's hard to have those parcels um, that don't make it um, nice and easy for an architect to, you know, I call it adult Tetris when you're when dropping buildings and, and room configurations. Um, so we're, we're, you know, going, going low and slow intentionally. Um, and I've got it, you know, my, my timeline's about to run out on some of those. I'll have to go forward with what I have. If I can't, if I can't get any of those, if I can't get five and six where I need it to be. Yeah. So what is it, if, if you do just four, what does that look like? And then what does it look like if you get all eight? Yeah. So if I get all right now, we're looking at 120 bedrooms. Um, I'd like to do as many three bedrooms as possible uh, over two bedrooms, you know, so if you're going to have either 99 or a hundred, you know, bedrooms, if I do three bedroom apartments and I have, and I'm working with 33 kitchens, if I do two bedroom apartments, then I'm, then I have to buy 50 kitchens. And so really just in order to save money on construction costs, I'm trying to get as many three bedrooms as possible. There's some upside to that and there's some downside to that. Uh, typically on a college campus, a three bedroom apartment uh, is harder to rent. Uh, however, the tenants will stay longer. Uh, two bedroom apartments are always easier to rent, but they typically turn over every year. That's, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about when you're doing student housing, right? Because a, a lot of times they're going to rent, you know, it's, it's not a, it's not a single college kid renting a three bedroom. It's, it's three kids probably renting a three bedroom interesting that you point out the math on the kitchen because you're right that is the most expensive piece of the house in Mm. most cases and having to build you know 17 fewer houses or fewer kitchens saves you i'd imagine on the low end 170 grand but probably closer to three hundred thousand dollars on your build costs depending on what you're doing for kitchen um yeah that's man it's it's interesting so 120 is what you're going for with the four if you get up to eight does that double you get two uh, it, 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 it does. It, it, it'll be it'll be up there. Um, we have done a lot of work with uh, the the town. The their limitation has always been parking, right? So mm-hmm. I know that I can go four levels high. Don't know if I want to go four levels high because then you bring in you know required elevators and additional costs. You know the additional foundation, the reinforced concrete uh, for the foundation. Um, but parking has always been an issue. Or should be the limiting factor, I should say. Um, so before, it, when you have a for a new multifamily in this in this location, and you build a three bedroom apartment, that three bedroom apartment required four parking spaces. So as you start to expand that out, you quickly just run out of run out of land to put parking versus structure. Uh, so we're yeah. looking at it trying to go three levels high. Um, we did a couple things with the city. We put a motion in front of the city council to change the parking requirement. 
um, down to, we actually got it down to a one-to-one -one ratio. Uh, so that gives us a lot more um, footprint on the land. Uh, we also got the 10% 10 green space requirement removed. So we can really use a lot of the land for parking, which gives us the ability to put more apartments. Yeah. Yeah. Parking is a, a very underestimated piece of the puzzle. Um, so there's a building here in town. It's I think 22 stories. It's like 280,000 square feet. And the guy who had built it passed away. And apparently there was a whole bunch of stuff that he'd like worked out with different, um, you know, municipalities where it was like, you know, my estate will pay for this when I pass with some of the financing on some of these things. And I don't know the exact details of the story, but like one of the things he owned was the Springfield Cardinals, like minor, like double A minor league baseball team. And, and, uh, the estate lost that and it got bought out by some like investors from New York. And then the city was like, screw that. So the city owns it now. Uh, the city bought it back and, uh, that's in kind of the same vicinity downtown, but he owns this tower. It's the biggest tower in town. Everybody knows it. you can see from the skyline. It has a, uh, used to be a restaurant slash event center up on top and it's, it's cool. And they lost the parking garage that was so, so this parking garage now charges, you know, whatever. Um, and so nobody wants to like rent it's an office space and so nobody really wants to rent the space because all their you know there's only so much parking and if you don't get that all the employees have to go pay mm -hmm. every day to park across the street or park illegally or, or whatever there's a very 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 short amount of parking and so like they've got this event space that they can't use because of not having enough parking spots for the space and so they can't rent it to anybody um and the city will it's this whole mess um the deal is basically being offered off market. I want to say the math was $46 a square foot to buy this thing. And which if you think about it, like for a freaking skyscraper is ridiculously nothingness. Um, right. But it's currently losing. I was asking my agent about it uh, yesterday. Cause I'm like, dude, I'm intrigued. Send me the details. Like, let's see what we can do with this bad boy. And he's like, it's losing a hundred thousand dollars a month. I was like, okay, never mind. You know what? Some other <laughs> investor can play that game. I'm not going to play that game right now. Uh, and it's all because of parking. Well, I mean, there's probably some other issues with like restructuring, you know, build out for new office space and stuff. But the vast majority of the issue is parking. It was it was owned separately and it was lost in the estate. And now the building doesn't have enough parking to support itself, which makes me laugh because I'm like, you know, if you ever build a tower in town, it's like just dig down and build the parking underneath like yeah. every other city. But yeah, we had looked at some of those options, you know, about digging down, putting a parking garage underneath. Um but again, from where for the like the, the baseline that I have, adding that doesn't give me enough additional apartments or additional bedrooms to recover the cost. So even if I took the, the three stories that I had raised at one level because I can go four levels high altogether and put parking underneath the cost of the elevator, the fire suppression system, you know, for parking garages, all the additional concrete that you have to pour um, to support the structure is not worth the additional, um, or the cost of the adding all that is not worth, I don't get my return on, it's just not enough, it doesn't give me that many more apartments, it's, it's not scaling. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So, okay, so what would you say, just out of curiosity, you've done, I mean, this is, two really large first transactions. And I'm curious what you would think, uh, what, what, you, what you say, like what, what's something that surprised you about the process? What's like a big 
lesson that you learned that you were like, I did not expect that to happen. Uh, probably the timeline, you know, especially with the, the first construction, you know, I thought purchasing that property in September, 2020, that we were going to be ready to rock and roll by the, you know, the next summer, uh, 2021. And that was not the case. Mm. Um, you know, for the permits took probably four or five months, um, you know, coastal properties in Florida have to get, you got to get a permit from the state, um, from the Florida's department of Envi environmental protection. Uh, it took five months to, just work with the draftsman uh, that was designing the house, the house, you know, I'd ask for changes. It'd be, you know, three weeks later before he would respond. You know, once I got that and got the final approval, then it was like another two months to get an engineering stamp um, for all the structural changes that we had put into it. Um, financing actually went pretty quick. Once I got the financing done, uh, the builder was able to start pretty quick, but the overall build from, uh, Breaking, grant, breaking ground to uh, our certificate of occupancy was about 15 months. Mm. Um, so from from September 2020, uh, purchasing the lot to get the certificate of occupancy in May of this year, May 2023, uh, it's a long time. Um, you know, we had set aside funds to be able to cover the cost, you know, for all this during the construction loan that the payments were interest only. So that helped. It also helped that the, the interest only payments are only on what the builder draws. Uh, so most of those costs are, are at the back end. Um, but it certainly, I didn't anticipate it going from September, 2020 to being able to receive our first gift in May of 2023. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a long timeline. I've, I've experienced that, that with some of my renovations too. I think that's just, nature of the beast. Although they say that a new build is, is generally a smoother ride once you start the actual building process than, you know, most renovations, because you know what you're getting into. And as long as the company is competent, they can do things right. Whereas yeah. with renovations, God knows how many times I've gone into a house thinking one thing and finding out a totally different thing. So. Yeah. yeah we waited a long time on windows. Uh, we waited a long time on cabinets um, unfortunately, when we were framing, we were framing at the height of the lumber cost. Um, so there was a whole bunch of additional charges associated with just uh, the fr framing of the house. Yeah. Um, once we, we got inside windows and, were and started getting stuff done, yeah, windows were a beast. I actually reconfigured most of the windows in my house to uh, get them quicker and, and made them a little bit smaller. Although some of the some of those decisions are, I regret now, but um you know, we had to, we had to press forward. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's you know, easy to look back and go, well, I wish we'd had this one, but when you, it's like you either wait six months because of a window or you get moving. Yeah. That's right. Uh, we had, yeah, we had one where, uh, I think we drove to seven different home depots within an hour and a half to find the last window for this renovation. Uh, you know, we called around in each place we went, like we'd paid for, this is the best part. We had paid for said window at, uh, Home Depot, 45 minutes away. And then the store sold it to somebody that was in the store in the time between us buying it online and getting there. And they were like, Oh, well, we can get you one in like four months. I'm like, Oh yeah. You. Um, yeah. Whole fun. So those things I didn't really, those things I didn't really anticipate. Um, but we, we got it done. I knew that I had to get it done. I couldn't, I didn't want it. I didn't want the certificate of occupancy in September and October as we started going in the slow season. I really needed it in April and May. So I could reap the benefits of a busy summer season. Mm. Gotta, gotta love it. Um, 
Oh man. Well, so, all right. So we're going to roll into the section of the show. Well, I guess before we do that, uh, anything about this process that we missed that we should touch on before we kind of roll into the debrief? Um, no, if anybody wants to do this process, I would just say vet everybody along the way. Um, I think I'd mentioned earlier, I vetted the builder through the bank. I vetted the bank through the builder. I vetted the builder through, you know, forums and personal contacts. And I was very specific, especially in this area. Um, there were what I was referring to as opportunist uh, GCs that were down there because of the hurricane. They were really there to collect insurance money. Uh, and, and there was no guarantee that they were going to be there for a long time. So I spent a lot of time vetting the builder and the bank. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's huge. Yeah. Trust, but verify as they say. Right. Um, all right. So let's rock into this debrief. So, uh, the question I had pulled from the Facebook group was essentially, this is a very exciting one. Uh, this is off your, off your post for, oh, wow. okay. uh, um, the deal, but it, it really was just, how did you calculate the ARV when you were trying to estimate to make sure this thing might make sense? I uh, started looking at uh, recently sold comps of uh, new construction in the area. Um, I needed to be uh, on the beach. Um, and I think before I had said my construction costs, you know, initially were about 225 a square foot. By the time you add in all the improvements, I think I wound up somewhere around 370 a square foot. Um, some of these, it, the uh, price per square foot sales were like above $800 a square foot. Wow. Um, and so that all turned, I was referring to that as easy math. Um, that's why I, I felt like I was doing something wrong. There was clearly a big piece I was missing. I kept yeah. searching for the big piece. Um, and that, that was weighing on me heavily of what, what do I not know that's going to come back and, and bite me and, and throw all these numbers out the window and, and just be completely wrong. So, um, you know, it appraised it, I think, you know, in 2.4, 3,400 square feet, it, it appraised it, I think, at a little over $700 a square foot. Uh, so those numbers came out, you know, pretty, pretty close to what I had projected. Yeah, that's phenomenal. Um, all right. What is the dumbest thing you've ever purchased? Oh, the dumbest thing I've ever purchased. Um, well, right now it's the five-month-old dog that's in the room above me, um, barking its head off. So I don't know if that's uh, coming through the coming through the mic, but uh, he clearly wants yeah. to be down here enjoying the day as well. <laughs> nope, can't hear him. What kind of dog? Uh, Australian Shepherd. Oh, nice. There you go. What about the smartest thing you think you've ever purchased? Um, I'm going to say the smartest thing I, I purchased was that land in, in 2020. Yeah. Um, we didn't know what we were going to do with it, um, but I just knew that eventually it was going to do something good for us. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's solid. Uh, name a book, podcast, or resource that made you into either uh, a better leader or investor. Yeah, when I, after the heart attack and I was trying to go through, um, kind of figure out what the next steps were for me in, li in life, I, I poured myself into um, Bigger Pockets podcast. Um, like every book recommendation that came out, you know, I purchased it and read. So I became obsessed with um, podcasts, webinars, reading books, you know, talking to everybody that I could uh, along the way. Yeah. Obsessed yeah, is probably the right word. I think we've all been there at some point. Yeah, that's a good spot to be, though. Um, all yeah. right. So if somebody's listening to the show and they want to make more money, 
instead of just ending the show and listening to the next show, they should do what? Uh, I would say narrow down on a, on a market and an asset class. New construction is not what I set out to do. It's just kind of found me and it, it piqued my interest and, and I became really involved with it. Um, that's not for everybody. Everybody's got their niche, kind of whatever, you know, everybody's got their own thing that tickles their fancy, but I explore asset classes and at least be able to rule asset classes out that don't, that don't interest you. You know, originally when I started doing research, looking at single family rentals, I, I realized, you know, $250 a month cash flow just, just wasn't for me. Um, I needed to, I needed to get something, I needed to go bigger, faster. And, and I found that with new construction. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's smart. If you just understand, you know, where you're investing and, and find a strategy and then you start learning about that, it's way easier than like broad strokes. Where can people uh, reach out if they want to find out more about you or, or just connect? I'm pretty easy to find on LinkedIn. Um, I've, you know, because I was in corporate IT, I've, I've got a pretty robust LinkedIn profile. Um, I operate two different Instagram accounts. One is uh, Blue Cannon REI on Instagram. Uh, that's kind of my investing um, account. And then I have uh, an account Panhandle Rentals that I uh, run my short term rentals through. I've been uh, pushing content from other local sources um, of the areas to, uh, and that's more consumer focused for the folks for my guests than my short term rentals. I like it. Yeah, that's awesome. Good deal. Uh, let's see. Um, last and most shameless question of the whole show. What's been your experience with the war room so far? Oh, uh, the war room, man, this accelerated me so much. You know, I've always in anytime I get a chance to, uh, you know, meet somebody from the war room, I'll go out of my way to meet them. And, and I have, I've met folks down in, you know, some of the Pensacola folks I've met Tampa folks. I've met, you know, Orlando folks. Um, it, it has accelerated me and given me some, advice that has, I mean, you know, the cost segregation study conversation that I had with, with James, um, you know, was, a, was a, a huge differentiator in, in me without a W2 income, um, the depreciation off my short-term rentals and being able to, you know, go against what W2 income I had at the beginning of the year, my wife's W2 income, uh, that's been a game changer. So, you know, if you're contemplating getting into the war room, uh, do it and and get in front of as many people as you can. Yeah, I love it. I appreciate you. It's been fun watching you uh, grow throughout your, your tenure in the war room, and it's been really cool to watch how much you give back and, and talk to other people, connect with other people. It uh, doesn't matter if they're newer newer members, newer investors, or more savvy. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it goes a long way that you're uh, – a good, good mutual friend of ours. Uh, you talk to him a lot about it and, uh, it's cool to see him join and, and crushing it now. And yeah, uh, for sure. Mobile jujitsu. Uh, that's right. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, Space all right. Coast mobile jujitsu for those out there in Florida. There you go. Shameless plug. He'll come to you and he'll, he'll, uh, beat you up gently. Um, or teach you how to not get beat up. What, that's whatever. Right. I know whatever just enough to like really get my ass kicked. <laughs> so yeah yeah same <laughs> i'm like I, it's it's one of those yeah I, I wrestled with him and nick lamagna once and and it was like i yeah same same exact feeling it's like i know just enough to make you think i know something so that you go a little harder and then i end up at a pretzel and i'm like well that didn't yeah. work 
So, oh man, Dan, this has been awesome. I appreciate you joining us today, well, and I uh, great. look forward to doing a follow up in a year or two or three or whatever when when we have some student housing to talk about. Yeah, awesome. Absolutely. Have a great day, brother.